the language that most autistic people prefer is to be called autistic. And that's because when you use language like have, that mm. is consistent with things like diseases. Like mm. you have cancer, okay. right? And if you have something and it's a disease, then you probably don't want it. Mm. And so when you use language like that, it allows people to kind of, without even knowing it, right, give kind of like oxygen to stigma and myths and stereotypes. Hello. Hello. Welcome to At Home. This is a place where we explore all the nooks and crannies of what makes us feel at home. The good, the meh, and the messy. We've been together over 10 years and we still have a lot to learn about each other. (laughs) I've been with myself for a long time and I still haven't figured myself out. It's a process. Well, there will be heated debates. Yeah, because Drew has very strong opinions Mm -hmm. about everything, like leaving the toilet lit up. Well, hey, we'll just bring in experts to help us solve those. What about you, though, leaving hair dolls in the shower? Ew. Uh, Those are gifts. (laughs) Yeah, that no one wants. This is all a part of our life at home. Oh, home time. I thought you were going to start singing like, oh, the weather outside is Something. frightful, but it's summer and I feel delightful. Actually, it's spring, but you know. It feels like summer. But we've been busy, busy at the house, doing lots and lots of assembling and organizing and baby prep. Busy, 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 busy. filming, busy, uh, what else? It's It's been a little cuckoo. You've been busy growing and Linda right now, literally, she's sitting here, she has a shelf on I the look, top of her belly. I look like Barney. I'm wearing a purple t-shirt. You look amazing. I'm wearing Drew's purple. Thank you. Lin- Linda's wearing all of my clothes right now, literally, except, except for the for socks. Your socks. And is the, the thong is mine too, right? Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm wearing Drew's green sweatpants and his purple t-shirt. And I look like a dinosaur. It's never looked so sexy. It's never smelled so sexy sexy either. You better wash that before. She always puts it back in the closet. I don't know what is up with my BO today. Like yesterday, remember we smelled my pits and I couldn't smell anything. You couldn't smell anything either. Admit it. Maybe I was just saying that. But it's just so funny that like from day to day how it changes. It does. I mean, most days it's like this, but um, it changes (laughs) from day to day. Um, but yeah, Bebe updates. We're going to reveal the nursery on our YouTube channel. So anybody who has not been there, youtube.com slash at home, we will be revealing it within a couple of weeks. What do you feel we do not have prepped? Anything else we need to jump on? I feel we've been... No, we're just waiting for things to in come in. Yeah. And come out. And come out. <laughs> <laughs> Baby's coming out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited. I feel good. But it's also, I think, a part of what we've been focusing on is a lot of reading education as parents yeah and and i think we're just trying to chill as much as possible because everyone is just saying take your downtime now enjoy your time together enjoy your sleep but linda will not take a nap i've been trying for nine months to get her to <laughs> nap and she won't I've had do a it. few naps okay i'll i'll nap when the baby naps How's okay that? good 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 well i mean april is a big month for us yeah, not Lin- only is it Earth Month? It's Earth Month, Linda's birthday, my birthday, Mm -hmm. and it's Autism Awareness Month. Yes. And so for us, we're really excited because we want to learn more about autism. And our good friend Jeff, who was diagnosed with autism a couple of years ago, he is here to talk to us and fill us in on the things we don't know. Because the more we learn from Jeff, the more interesting it is to me that we don't know. Autism is one of those things that we know the word but we don't actually know much more than just the word or a couple of stereotypes about what that means. Exactly. And and Jeff is here to just open our minds and our hearts. In a previous life, he worked in the podcasting world. He, he created the podcasting much. world in my mind. <laughs> he co-founded Earwolf, founded Midroll and Howl, and then sold all three companies five years after he founded them. And He's what they call an OG in the biz. He's the biz OG. And personally, I just love him, Darlene, and their daughter, Arden. They're just an amazing trio. We, we love them. Yeah, we actually, I miss them. We haven't seen them in a little while, but we just love getting together and we always have deep conversations. That's the best part. And great backgammon games. And really great. I was the winner in the last round. So. Were you? <laughs> Take I don't that. know about that. I was. 
Um, I also he, built a, I built a dollhouse with, oh no, it wasn't a dollhouse. Well, it, yeah, was it, it was the frozen castle. Oh, it I was think. a Lego castle. Yeah. yeah I built that yeah. with Arden. Yeah. You did a great job. We're really excited to talk to Jeff because he just launched his new company on April 2nd. It's Dove Orchids and it's a 100% autistic owned and operated for profit company. Jeff and the team at Dove Orchids, they really feel that everyone benefits from including autistic people in the workplace because there's a different insight that they can bring. They, they see things mm-hmm. and can contribute in a different way. Mm-hmm. So their mission is to work with peers, partners, and allies to improve the quality of life for autistic people while also improving workplaces, homes, and our everyday lives. And just reducing stigma because there is so much we don't know. And I think that more empathy will grow with more education. Mm-hmm. And the more we reduce stigma, the more we can increase opportunities and just enrich all of our lives. This is Jeff Ulrich. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Good to see you. It's been a little bit. too long. Too long. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Thanks so much for having me. me. For anybody listening in, so we've been friends with Jeff for... Years now, many years. How long has it been? When did we meet? No, it feels like it's been feels like we love you, but it it's only been probably like three years or something. Three years. We met through Daryl Morey, a friend of ours. We met at a basketball game. We bonded over basketball and podcasts. Well, I think that you you're both really special because I we don't always make seamless transitions to couple friendships, and Mm. that happened very easily with with both of you so uh you should feel really special and i'm so glad it happened because darlene just loves you to death i i love that i i want to talk about that for a little bit because i find it i don't think i find it difficult but i i think when i meet new people i have this like hesitation like oh i don't know if i want to hang out and i think we've talked about this as well like and you were so open about it you know there are days where you make plans and um, you're like, shoot, I shouldn't have made that plan because I'm not, I'm really not up for socializing. Drew never feels like this, I feel like. And I'm, I'm, I'm more <laughs> emotional. I'm like, I really don't have the energy to socialize. However, every time we meet up with both you and Darlene and Arden, it's always more revitalizing than it is training. Yeah. Deep chat. There's no, <laughs> we don't have superficial chat. It just goes straight into uh, more sort of connected conversation. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound very like kind of, I don't know, self-fulfilling prophecy. But we also somehow are talking about heavy things in a way, like you're saying, Linda, that is almost like replenishing rather than exhausting, which Mm -hmm. is not always the case. Yeah. So I think we're kind of just a perfect match, really. It really is. And I think I could be wrong here, but I think most of our friends are people that have either been in Linda's life that, you know, I, I came in, now I'm a part of it. So that's how the couple friendship is there. You guys are one of our first direct couple friends. Yeah. I kind of feel, yeah, we all, we get together and, and we enjoy that company. Or here in LA, I'm talking about, like, we don't, yeah. we don't have a lot of other couple friends. Here in LA. Anyway. And now all the other couple friends are like, hey, whoop. <laughs> hey. <laughs> We're also too. very forgetful. So yeah, you know. I'm going to blame it on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, just so your, your audience, your fans, your listeners know, I, you came over one day and I said, I didn't want you to come. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And 
but I'm glad you're here. And <laughs> that's like the kind of people you are is that you can feel comfortable enough to say that to someone and not have them get offended and turn around and run out the door. So no, no, I took you off my Christmas card list, but uh, we, you know, we still talk. I don't want your Christmas card anyway. <laughs> so tell me, I mean, let's, let's jump back a little bit for your history to fill everybody in. Um, you know, I call you the guru of the podcast realm. You're the podcast OG, but maybe you can explain a little bit of your, your history with Earwolf and, and mid-roll media. Yeah, it is history. Back in like end of 2009, early 2010, I was kind of floundering as a business manager. I wasn't enjoying it. I was still drinking a lot and I had a lot of clients that I drank a lot with and it wasn't healthy. And I was trying to figure out a way to feel better about it. And I decided to start a podcast where I would facilitate conversations between talent and people who are on the business side uh, as essentially content marketing for the business. And so I started investigating that. And part of that led me to a studio where a podcast was being recorded. And I started asking some questions and found out that it was pretty popular. And so set up a meeting with my then or my now former business partner, Scott Ackerman, and said, hey, how about I manage this podcast for you? You've got a lot of listeners. It's right a hobby, but I think we turn into more and the space is going to start growing really fast. And, and I think we had talked for four hours and we decided to start the company together and off we went. So Earwolf is comedy podcasting. So we created, developed, produced, distributed, monetized uh, comedy podcasts like Comedy Bang Bang, which is Scott's show, How Did This Get Made, which is like Paul, uh, June and Jason Manzoukas. Um, a gazillion other. I think we probably have produced over a hundred shows by the time I sold it. Currently, it's got like Conan O'Brien needs a friend and the Seth Rogen podcast is there and some other ones that people might know. Mm -hmm. Now, this is for anybody who's listening here. You know, we love our podcast, what we do, but literally Jeff started when this wasn't really the cool thing to do. You didn't have half of what you know and what's out there nowadays. It was truly in the beginning days, in my opinion. Do you feel that what, what you did with Earwolf really was in that very, very beginning phase before this became the fad? It's so the, the quick history, because I don't think people want to hear the full one, is that podcasting was actually super popular and a big deal in like the kind of early days of tech. In fact, Twitter was originally called IDEO and it was a podcasting company before they pivoted to Twitter. Yeah. And there was a ton of, of VC money that was put into the space. And what happened was all the tech and all the platforms were getting invested in, but there was no talent. I don't mean talent, but like there was no high level talent that was well known that was bringing an audience. So you had mm -hmm. people who had tech and were starting to work on apps and all that kind of stuff, but the content wasn't there. And so what I was able to do was recognize that, hey, we actually need to bring talent into the space because that's where the audience is going to be. And that's when we'll be able to actually have these become jobs and you know people's like parts of people's lives rather than just like these little hobbies for people mm -hmm. who who want to do something in their basement. I was going to fast forward to a conversation we had on one of our hikes. You told us about when you sold the company. Yeah. Can you talk about why you had to, why you decided to and what led you to that? I that was a great hike. We have to do it again. Mm -hmm. I I sold the company 5 years after we started it. I sold all, there were three different companies at that point that were all part of one holding company and I sold the whole thing. And I had gotten really burned out probably like three years in out of the five. Um, and a lot had happened. I had had a kid, I had gotten sober. I had started a couple new businesses within this time frame, uh, And I was doing a lot on my own and or with some a lot of times it was like inexperienced and younger people who wanted to work in podcasting because it was new. They, they love podcasts, but it wasn't easy to recruit like people who have there was no experience, first of all. And so you had to try to grab people who had media experience elsewhere. And they often like it was hard. Like nobody wanted to come do this thing where no one was really paying attention. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it kind of fell to me. And then on top of that, um, I was one of or the only business person who was trying to engage this entire world and say, hey, this stuff is important. It matters. People are engaged. It's not radio, <laughs> you know. And so I would just do hour-long meetings, like 12 of them a day, 
day after day after day. And then I would have to work six or eight hours after that to do my work. And so all I did for, you know, whatever, three years was try to convince the world that this was something that was worth investing in. And that that's exhausting. Like that's mm-hmm. like a huge toll on me. I didn't know I was autistic at the time. And I essentially was starting to show the signs of autistic burnout, but didn't know what that meant and found myself with two unplanned, like more than month long sabbaticals where I just, one day I was like, I can't do this anymore. I have to take a break. And it happened twice a year apart. Mm-hmm. And at, at one point I just got there where I, I didn't have, my health wasn't great. Um, I was exhausted. It wasn't really so much fun anymore. And yet I still cared so much. And so Darlene, my wife said, you know, I really think you should consider selling it and not just a little, like if you own one share of this company, you're going to still care about it as if you own all the shares. And it's kind of like almost your first love. And if you don't like give yourself a couple of years to get over it, you're never going to fall in love again. And I think you'd rather start that process now than later. So you should think about that. And she's way smarter than I am and knows me really well. We grew up across the street from each other, as you know. And and I took her advice. I was like, she's right. It's time to sell. And so uh, that's how we got to the point of deciding to sell. And then luckily, business was really good. And we, we were growing you know, 200% a year every year. And so there are a lot of people who are interested in putting in offers to buy the company. Well, what I think was really interesting, and you and I actually had some really great conversation about this before, is your personality and your tendencies. And as you mentioned, you didn't know at the time you were autistic. But I, I think it was really interesting to see when you and I were talking about how you were sort of, I can't remember how you put it, but almost obsessive with the business and the structure and everything that, you, that you're putting into it. And it was consuming you. How were you coping over the years? How were you coping with that? Especially like you said, with this new business venture and there's so much that you're learning as you're growing and then trying to get everyone's attention about this space. How did you balance that, uh, your personality traits that pulled you in there and your family? Great question. I didn't, I didn't have balance. And I think that that was the thing. Um, it caused a lot of trouble too, because it felt to everybody, myself included, that it was a choice that I was choosing to spend my time focused on this thing that wasn't a person, that wasn't my wife, that wasn't my kid, that wasn't my friend. And what I found out much later is that it's not a choice. Like my brain is kind of like the proverbial dog with the bone. And once my brain sees a problem that needs, that I want to solve or that it can solve, it grabs onto it. And the thing, you know, I have a cool brain and the things that it does are, are, are oftentimes kind of unique, but I'm not in control of it. And so it just kind of grabs on and sees the gazillion possibilities. But the truth is, is that the, the vision that I kind of laid out for our business and for the podcasting industry generally kind of played out exactly how I thought for 10 full years. Mm. And that's the deep thinking that my brain needs to do to be able to do that is something that it, it you can't do it part-time. You yeah. have to go so deep. It's almost like if you're a diver, you know, if you can't make it to the bottom to grab the thing, you got to go all the way to the top, get more air and try again. And that's the way my brain works. So once I make my brain go up for air, everything that happened before that goes away. This is the main reason why we're talking today so that we can understand more about how your brain works and people who also deal with, do you, do you say, actually maybe, no, actually, how do you say, do you, I was going to say deal with autism or is it better to say who have autism or, or no, who autistic. are autistic? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the have is a word that for the most part, most autistic people prefer to be described as autistic rather than having autism. That's not universal. And there are people who, you know, like that's the way I feel, but I don't begrudge other people who Mm -hmm. are happy to be, you know, who you would say that they have autism. Mm -hmm. Um, But the language that most autistic people prefer is to be called autistic. And that's because when you use language like have, that Mm -hmm. is consistent with things like diseases. Like you have cancer, okay. Right? And if you have something and it's a disease, then you probably don't want it. Mm. And so when you use language like that, 
it allows people to kind of without even knowing it, right? They're they're all of a sudden they're attaching this concept of you have this thing that maybe it's your fault, mm. probably bad, maybe it'll go away. All these things that are not true about what it means to be autistic that then give kind of like oxygen to stigma and myths and stereotypes. I think that's so important for us to know too, because obviously I think there are a lot of people who not knowingly are offending um, people of the autistic community that are, they're just unaware. Like myself too. I think I still, um, I have to think about how I'm phrasing certain things to make sure I'm not trying to, I'm not being offensive. Now your daughter, Arden, who's just turned 10. I remember when you said that you found out that she was autistic and then you decided to test and it turns out that you were autistic. Can you walk through that journey with us a little bit? Yeah, it was kind of long actually. Like she was diagnosed at five, about five years ago. And, you know, it's something that I, I don't want to say I'm ashamed of because it's, it's just honest and true. And there's reasons for it that I don't feel bad about, but it's a shame that I would have to say that when we were, when, when she was diagnosed, I was grieving that diagnosis. I, I was really ableist. I thought autism was a terrible thing. It was this big, scary, hairy word that I didn't really understand. Um, and, and I had been, you know, the product of this kind of, you know, bad marketing <laughs> that autism has, uh, and so I, I was one of the people who now I'm trying to help. And part of what I think makes me able to do that is because I, I'm not showing up judging. I'm not saying, oh, you're a terrible person because you feel bad when you find out your kid's autistic. I can say, you know what, for, for almost three years, I thought my kid was autistic and I wasn't. And for the first little bit of that, I grieved what I thought that meant, mm-hmm. which I was wrong about, but it's true. And so you're not going to necessarily offend me because I take a clean slate approach to all of this. Mm-hmm. I recognize that, like, here's the thing that's, I think, hard for people to really get their head around. There's lots of marginalized groups in the world, and I never do compare and despair. Like, it doesn't serve any of us to do that. But as a whole, it's, it's really kind of like, well, I have access to a group of people who I am not a part of to at least have a, a, a certain base level of understanding of the experience that's being communicated to me by people who are part of that group. The same you could say for gender and for sexuality and so on and so forth. But when it comes to autism, there isn't that base layer. If in fact, what's there is often what, what happened with me is this misrepresentation and this kind of like false narrative that hasn't been created by autistic people. And so this gap that people have is really wide, especially if you're if you're comparing it to other groups where people are like, oh, yeah, like we do DEI and we work with this group and we work with that group. But when it comes to us, people don't even really know what they don't know because there has been so little exposure. Can you give an example of how you see that play out in, say, the entertainment industry? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the entertainment industry has almost like a, a negative rating in the sense that there isn't really any actual representation, but there is misrepresentation. And, and you know, there, you'll hear autism used as a slur in TV shows and films that, mm-hmm. that people don't even think twice, you know, like some of my favorite shows, I'm not going to name, because like I said, we're like clean slate and I, I'm not looking to call people out, but like four of my favorite shows in the last two years, have have used autism as a way of kind of making somebody look or feel bad. Um, and there's a lot of smart people in these writers' rooms. There are a lot of smart people at these networks and studios. And none of them were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't say autism is scary. Maybe mm-hmm. we shouldn't use autism as the butt of the joke. Maybe mm-hmm. we shouldn't say someone's autistic as uh, a put down. It doesn't even occur to people because there's just been this like, long-term pervasive, almost insidious lack of representation. Mm-hmm. And so what one of the things that we're working on um, at Dove Orchids, the new company I started, is to try and educate the entertainment industry around representation and encouraging everyone to start hiring people like us to help them be accurate 
with the narratives they're telling, the storylines, the characters they're writing, as well as, you know, like, it would be great if we actually had autistic creators, you know, who are telling yeah. our own stories instead of us just trying to help neurotypical people not get it wrong. Well, what I really love, and congrats again about Dove Orchids. I think it's amazing what you're doing, um, bringing a voice to a, a community that really hasn't had the voice that they deserve. Can you describe a little bit of how you want to build out what you're creating um, and how you want to sort of your different stages of growth for what you're doing? Yeah, so we just launched and it's kind of a soft launch in that you know it's, it's not this massive 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 push we don't have 12 people already um, but you know we have a couple clients we're hoping to get more we've had some interest come in already from our, our launch and we're going to start organically growing a consulting business where 100% of the other uh, people you're engaging with are autistic and they're going to be helping people understand how to create accessible workplaces how to make accommodations and we're really trying hard to, to, to have a balance between making sure that autistic people have great experiences in the workplace and also that that benefits businesses without it being exploitative. So one of the things that has happened is that you'll have someone who's not autistic start like an employment agency and be like, oh, if you have data entry, I have all these autistic people who are able to do this road task like over and over again really fast. So why don't you hire us and you can outsource that to us. Um, and so there's kind of like a, a bit of a negative connotation within our community to be exploited by people mm -hmm. who are trying to kind of quote unquote make nice with businesses. Right. There's some similarities to what I did with the podcasting company Midroll, which basically existed to sell advertising for podcasters and what we're doing now is that some of the people I was competing against in, in the podcasting space, they were charging agency fees to the advertiser and then also charging fees, sales fees to the podcaster. And so their fiduciary was with the advertiser, not with the podcaster. The podcaster was paying them more. And so I went and I was like, we're making a stand. We, we represent podcasters. We will never charge an agency fee. If there's any, ever any question as to whose side we're on, it's always going to be the podcaster. Mm. And I think that that's a similar dynamic here is that we can come in and do a lot of great work with a lot of amazing organizations to improve the way they're able to work with, make accessible to, accommodate autistic people so that autistic people can thrive and that will benefit their business. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we'll do it at the expense of autistic people by trying to commoditize mm -hmm. who we are as a community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's such a beautiful thing that you said, you know, you you do have a beautiful mind and the world needs to see it as a, a benefit, not just, you know, checking a box in their diversity hiring quota. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to learn about all of the diverse ways that you are able to, th to think and all the value that can bring to, to companies. You know, it's almost like I, I planted you to say that because that's <laughs> the perfect lead in. Because one of the things I, I talk about is how, kind of globally misunderstood DEI is as it relates to people who are autistic. So if you look at a world-class company who's doing the best anyone's ever done in the world on DEI, but they're not including autistic people, which doesn't happen yet, what you're doing is you're saying like, oh, let's let's look at race and let's look at gender and let's look at class and blah, blah. And let's let's look at neurodiversity, right? And it becomes another box to check. But what people don't realize is that autistic people are black, autistic people are indigenous, autistic people are non-binary, autistic people have reproductive rights concerns, autistic people, autistic, you know, like, and so we are not autistic people, we are people. Mm -hmm. And we fall into lots of different groups. And so if you look at like a bell curve of, of actual diversity, if you're not looking at neurotype as your baseline, then you're missing out on two thirds of the way it's possible for people to think and contribute to solving problems at your business. And you can be great, but that middle third will be super dense, right? Because you'll have all kinds of people in that group, but they're all people who think within a certain range of kind mm -hmm. of like how their brain operates, right? right. And so it's a, it's a huge loss for everyone mm -hmm. to not have diversity of neurotype included in a way that's different from, yeah. from some of the other things.
ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. There's so much that just goes through my brain, my, my brain. so many questions that I, I want to ask. But one, one thing I would like to jump back to a little bit is you've talked a lot in the past. I mean, you said that you were a high-functioning alcoholic. And I think this, this was before that you knew that you were autistic and you were trying to, you're having a hard time with work and, and the workload and figuring things out, which may have led to drinking. And then when you got sober, you found out that you were autistic um, you said you were coping with ADHD and anxiety and depression. How how did some of those different um, concerns of yours overlap? And did a lot of it make more sense when you understood that you were trying to cap something instead of embrace your autism? That's a good question. It, it, it came in bits and pieces. So, you know, the first thing was that I was an alcoholic and I drank for 16 years. I quit in 2012. Um, I quit smoking in 2013. I quit working in 2015. I've quit a lot of things. And every kind of time I've made a change like that, it's made space for other things and, uh, you know, essentially like the ability to grow. I didn't have any diagnosis ever. And I went from like clean kind of neurological bill of health as far as the healthcare industry is considered at 45 years old to autism, ADHD, anxiety, and then later depression. And What that did was kind of rock my identity because you think of yourself a certain way, people perceive you to be a certain way your whole life. And then you start to peel back the layers of who you really are and what that means. And it's really easy, especially at 45, to be like, well, who am I? You know, I found out my my neuropsych told me that uh, they estimate I only process 10% of my emotions kind of the way like you would. The other 90% I'm processing on a cellular level physically. So like today, I had a stressful day. My fingertips are so sensitive that I couldn't type with my fingers this afternoon. I had to type with my fingernails. I had to type upside down basically Mm -hmm. because it was so painful. And so a lot of physical manifestation that I had no understanding about, I always always thought I was about to get the flu and then fought it off was because I process my emotions different than most people. Hmm. And so all of a sudden it's like, well, why have I ever done anything? Has it, has everything I've ever done been to avoid physical pain? Is, is that the whole thing? Hmm. <laughs> have I, you know, I, I talk a lot, right? I got a lot going on in my head. And if I don't get it out, then I'll get a headache. A lot of people I feel try to fit in with what everybody else does or how everybody else reacts to things. And then to realize how painful that can be for somebody to do it that way instead of understanding why they need to do things a different way is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you got your diagnosis, did you go through a grieving process as well for your old identity or was it more of a relief because it was like, ah, some things make more sense now? I was rooting for it. I thought that the best thing for Arden would be to have a parent as close, or I mean, have someone as close as a parent who could relate and identify with her. And uh, I was shocked that when they, when the doctor said you've been, you're being diagnosed uh, as ASD, it like took my took my breath away. It was jarring, uh, and I walked into that room hoping for that outcome. And you you get you face real quick what internalized ableism looks like, because here you are rooting for this diagnosis. You have a kid that you love who's autistic. And yet I still had this visceral reaction that was like, I, I don't I don't know if I want this. And it, it didn't stay very long, luckily. Um, but but that was like. The first thing is like you brace for it because, uh, like I said, you don't really know how how the world's going to handle that. Mm-hmm. And the world isn't necessarily a super safe place for autistic people right now. I think like hearing your stories and seeing the way you interact with Arden, it really helps us understand more deeply 
and appreciate more deeply everyone's differences. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. I, you know, I think that I have really um, become more empathetic than I ever was since I've been diagnosed because, you know, I, I was talking with a comedian and she was like, you know, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> you know, I, I've been queer for a long time. I've dealt with being marginalized for a long time. You have had nothing go wrong for you and you've had no identity that people don't kind of like get behind. There's no like not like everything about you has some supremacy. And at 45 years old, you're going to get taken down quite a few notches for the first time. And and it's going to be hard for you. Mm. And I actually didn't find it to be hard. I found it to be instructive and educational. Um, but also like hard to see then what it means broadly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what essentially led to like starting this business is I can't unsee some of the disadvantages that the community is facing, whether or not those are disadvantages I personally faced or not. Look, the whole idea of bringing like healthcare language into this is something that I hope changes over time. Like the idea that your diet, like no one diagnoses you as short, no one diagnoses you as having blue eyes. Why were you looking at Linda for that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, another thing I think that I want to key on, you actually, you said that, you know, you don't want to miss out, right, on autistic employees who could help you think differently in your business. You have autistic employees. You just don't know it. And a lot of them don't know it either. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that I try to talk about is, I was unsuccessful, largely unsuccessful professionally for years and years and years. Same brain, same everything. But I had a hard time because people thought I was super smart, but didn't always like my style. I wasn't always able to have even output. My output was uneven. It would be like a huge amount and then nothing. Mm. And I think that like I look back and say, how well would I have done? For any of the, you know, I worked for some big companies that I could have probably done a lot of good things with. How many, how many me's are at your company right now mm-hmm. and don't know it, haven't been accommodated, or maybe they do know it and they don't feel safe enough. And I'm not saying specifically like with you that they don't feel safe. It's just like a broad thing where autistic people have been fired. Like this isn't uncommon to get mm-hmm. fired if you disclose that you're autistic. Oh, wow. um, it's legal to pay autistic people less than minimum wage. And so what? wait, why is that legal? Basically, there are certain kind of vocations. So Goodwill, for example, Goodwill hires people who have intellectual disabilities for one, two dollars an hour. Totally legal. And what? so autistic people can sometimes be part of that group. And so the wage gap is wild because at least even people who are really terribly paid at least have like the minimum wage as some sort of pathetic floor, which by the way, it should be double or triple. Uh Um, Whereas autistic people and and people with other, other diagnosis don't even have that protection. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff workplace wise that needs to be addressed. And some of it is that you have people who are capable of doing a a million amazing things in a lot of different amazing ways. You know, Mm -hmm. so one thing that I learned is that I love working with autistic people. You can completely disagree and use really hard to find a bigger group of coworkers that are so kind and thoughtful to each other, regardless of whether or not they agree with something. And so it's back to what you said, Linda, is that kind of in our differences, we find our similarities. And I think that that's something that a lot of autistic people are really good at is, mm-hmm. is being able to empathize with what other people are going through because we've our whole lives kind of not been accommodated for. And so we understand it when we see it. Can I ask you to clarify some misconceptions about autism? Um, I know one thing that you and I talked about before is, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you're on, you're on the spectrum. And that that can be taken as something that is a very ne- uh, negative um, phrase. Can you explain a little bit more? Language-wise, it's very common for people to say that someone's high-functioning autistic or, or has high-functioning autism. And as we kind of progress and grow and learn more, um, 
it's kind of turning out that that's really bad language because that's assuming that we as not that person are capable of identifying like how they function and then judging whether or not that's high or low. And there's a lot we don't know. It could be that someone hasn't have access to the communication tools. So like the rest of us have all decided that verbal communication is our go-to. And that's what we all prefer. But it doesn't mean that verbal communication is A, the only way to communicate or B, the best way to communicate. And so there's a lot of people who prefer or are unable to communicate verbally, uh, who prefer to do it another way, Mm -hmm. who haven't received the devices and the technology and the ability to be able to Mm -hmm. do that. And so high, low functioning is kind of not a cool thing to say. Mm -hmm. Same with like severe and mild. Uh, And then another part of that is that it creates division within the community, especially for kids, because parents then are striving for their kids to be considered high function because they don't want their kids to be labeled as low functioning. They don't want their kids to all that kind of stuff. Right. And so what happens is that encourages masking that encourages behavior modification. And all of those things are really detrimental to the health of all of us, but in this case, the kids. Mm -hmm. And so the kids are encouraged to behave in the way that everyone will be like, oh, Johnny is high functioning. Isn't that great? Whereas it has nothing to do with what Johnny needs or how Johnny wants to behave or how Johnny's mind works. You know what I mean? None of that Mm -hmm. stuff. All Johnny knows is that if he doesn't do this, he's going to disappoint his parents. And so the high, low functioning kind of has like a lot of really negative kind of issues for us. And, and people don't know, they don't realize that it's not something that anyone ever says. Like Drew, you said earlier, like people just don't know. And I think that it's really true that there's a lot of what I call like in a positive way, low hanging fruit, people who have no interest in harming any autistic person ever, but just have no idea how to not do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of why I wanted to start doing this work because there's a lot of progress that can be made pretty quickly. Uh, because of the fact that it hasn't happened yet. And there's a lot of people who will be receptive to this. Are there any other misconceptions that you think are sort of great educational tools for any of us that need to know more? I mean, first thing is autism is not a disease. It's a neurotype. And so it doesn't mean that you're sick. And autistic people get really upset when people try to quote unquote cure or treat or prevent Mm. autism. Because curing it means that like it's better off that you don't exist. Preventing it kind of means the same thing. So Asperger's is no longer an official diagnosis. It's probably been, I think, almost 10 years since that's been an official diagnosis. People still use it because it has always been a way to elevate certain people. And so again, you kind of have like a lot of times people who don't want their kids or they themselves don't want to be seen as like a lower class of autistic people. So they'll continue to kind of like use the, the phrase uh, Asperger's. But Asperger's actually is named after a doctor from Nazi Germany. And it was he who was the one who decided whether or not someone was fit to live or die when they were autistic. And so it's kind of like, really problematic. And a lot of people don't realize that that's like the history of of the word. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So for anyone wanting to learn more, is there a good hub to learn about these different terms and just to start to understand? There is a, a nonprofit called Neuroclastic that has just an amazing amount of contributors who are autistic and otherwise neurodiverse who write a gazillion articles on a gazillion topics. And honestly, like I would say, go to Neuroclastic and you'll have a wealth of information that you can learn about all this stuff. Yeah, we'll share a link in our show notes, mm-hmm. but we appreciate it as well. And, and can, we'll also share some more information about Dove Orchids as well, because I think as you continue to grow, I know you have a, a strong focus in the entertainment industry, but it's not just for the entertainment industry as well. No, I mean, we work with all businesses. Um, we can do sensitivity training for a nurses union um, and we'll be working with parents. We've already heard from a bunch of parents who are interested in us helping explain this stuff about their, their kids um, because there's this huge gap. And I'm excited too, because we actually have you 
you're going to be working with our team as well and and speaking yes. with all of our teams. So super I didn't excited. know if I if I could say that or not, but yes, like you are uh, one of the two uh, companies that have that hired us before we even launched. So thank you so much. That's an amazing vote of confidence. Of Thank course. You. And and also on top of having you and your team uh, speak with our companies, we're also going to be hosting some Zoom autistic parties. It's information yes. parties to help bring in some other people from our industry that we know are very interested in learning more. Thank you for doing that. It'll basically be a little bit more targeted version of this conversation. And then that'll follow up with like a half hour kind of Q&A. And there'll be, uh, I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to have you like two or three of these uh, a day during April, which is Autism Awareness Month, um, with a lot of like seven, 10, 12 person groups. So I'll be able to really have intimate conversations with a lot of people who make TV and film. And hopefully that'll start to immediately influence how people think about us. I want to thank you for everything that you do to support the autistic community and to educate all of us who um, I mean, is it is it a weird term to say allies of the community? Because now that we understand more, we have more empathy. I think we really are allies. You are absolutely allies. You're top notch allies. <laughs> and by the way, I don't want to forget to say, you know, I have a team, Ira Kramer and Marina Kay and Cheyenne Thornton. This is not just me. Um, I happen to have an idea and I was able to get started because I didn't have a job and I had a, a couple <laughs> bucks to hire a few people. But this is not just me. And um, in fact, like I'm already trying to figure out a succession plan to make sure that there's like the next kind of leadership round that can come through and, and keep making change. So I just want to make sure that th this is definitely not like the Jeff show, which is, you know, before it kind of was a little bit with my other companies. And this is entirely different. I would still watch the Jeff show, but I know this is a big <laughs> community of amazing people. In the past, what you did with Earwolf and Midroll, you basically shaped an entire industry with the podcast realm and, and what you've done. So I just love the idea that you are now starting a whole new, this is a new industry, what you're creating for your community. So I'm excited to see a year from now, five years from mm -hmm. now. It's, mm -hmm. it's very exciting. Thank you. <laughs> we like to wrap up with a speed round. If you're ready for our hard hitting questions. Yes. I've listened to your show. I'm anticipating the speed round. Mm, maybe okay, we, really maybe we threw in, you know, a rogue question just for you. Yeah. <laughs> what color is the freckle on my lower back in the, no, okay, that's a weird question. Uh, He's thinking about it. Yeah, purple. Uh, what meal makes you feel most at home and who cooked it? Little Tony's Thin Crust Pizza in North Hollywood is the closest facsimile to Chicago Thin Crust, which is my favorite. All right. Well, I, I mean, I'm guessing Tony cooked it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your most vivid memory of home? My most vivid memory of home is actually taking the garbage out with my now wife when we were teenagers. And we would, on garbage nights, go to each other's houses and help each other take the garbage out. So romantic. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is a memorable growth moment for you? Getting sober is probably like the biggest one for me because it unlocked, number one, because I'm still alive. Uh, and number two, it just really unlocked an entirely different ability to move through the world and understand how other people do and look for similarities and not differences that established this like really amazing base for me that then when I learned I was autistic, I was able to start from a, a much different place than I would have if I hadn't gotten sober before. Mm. All right. What is your favorite podcast right now? So this is probably going to be a little kind of controversial. So I actually listened to this podcast called The Bulwark. Um, I, I was a Republican like 11 years ago, and then I switched to Democrat and I've become more and more progressive. But this podcast, The Bulwark, is from people who are Republicans and have been part of the like, Republican media world for decades. And they're not people I typically share views or values with. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying, especially Linda, this idea of, again, finding similarities, not differences. I'm no more Republican now than I was when I started listening to that podcast. 
but it has really helped me understand perspectives that are different from mine in ways mm-hmm. that I haven't. So um, I actually really enjoy listening to that. No, I think that's great. I honestly think that more of us need to step out of just watching our news in the one channel where we watch our news. We need to stop just talking with that one group of people that we talk with. It would be so much healthier for society to start to expand and understand, for lack of better terms, the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get out of our echo chambers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we want to finish with one really good, hard-hitting question. This is an important one for Linda and me. You have an amazing daughter. Give us some parenting advice. What advice can you give us for (laughs) our soon-to-be-here baby? I only have one piece of advice, and that is to not expect anything, not to try and control anything. Um, you, you, you both are super thoughtful and you plan and you, you investigate and you educate yourselves. And I mean, going on a hike with you is like a, a a book club, like for 10 weeks in a row for one (laughs) hike. Right. Um, all that's great. And you should absolutely be prepared, but you have to be prepared with the knowledge that, that nothing's going to go the way you plan. You have to roll with that. And as, as an autistic person and as a parent of an autistic person, I can tell you that I, I wish that a lot of people were more open to why people are the way they are instead of this kind of place where like people assume that, that kids are trying to pull one over on you. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's not necessarily an uncommon perspective of like, oh, that kid is really smart and they're getting away with this or they're making you look like the fool and I'm the parent, so you're not allowed to do that. I found that our daughter has never been wrong with enough time. If it may be a week, it may be two years, but eventually you'll realize that when Arden said that thing was hard, that's because you found out that she has a vision processing disorder. You know, it's not because she didn't want to go do the thing. It's not because Hmm. she didn't want to learn to read. Hmm. So I think that you, you have to just be super curious. That's the big word and open-minded regardless of what you're bringing in terms of preparation and knowledge to parenthood. I will ask lots of questions. I will ask our child questions instead of just trying to say, hey, do it this way that I always did it because that's how I always did it. Yeah, and we have to take the time to get to know that person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. It's always a pleasure chatting with you and we miss you, Darlene and, and Arden. I know the same. And I had a long day and again, you know, there's very few people I would have wanted to continue it with at this point. And <laughs> I am so glad I talked to you. I always, I just, I love you both. And it's such a great time talking to you every time. We love you and we feel the same way. And by the way, we have an amazing team and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. Wes Friend. Chris Cobain. Nicole Schachter. And Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson and our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do. Please do. And also leave comments on our social media at at home. We love to hear from you. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.